that's so interesting. Ooh, that's interesting. Well, that is very interesting. Please tell me more. Very interesting. Marty, that was very interesting. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to That's So Interesting, the podcast that discusses what we think are objectively interesting things. I'm Graham, and alongside me are Brandon and Brian. Fellas, how are you doing today? Good. Brian's back! We're back in action. <laughs> One week off, but we are ready to go, folks. Fully rested. Ready to jump back in the game. You know, practice? Are we talking about practice? <laughs> no, it's good to be back. Sorry I missed you, listeners. And uh, Graham and Brandon, I heard Jen was an absolute time on the podcast with lots of great clips. So looking forward to everybody diving right on into that podcast. And from what I've heard is more of the story is don't touch Jen's bag. Yeah, that's really just it. <laughs> yeah, it's a big takeaway point from that whole thing. There we go. Um, yeah, but on today's episode, we're going to try to focus in on the interesting rewards and motivation out there in the world that we've experienced and just some general thoughts um, to sort of shape that aspect of, you know, how people go about deciding what to buy, what they do in their free time, that sort of thing. Um, I know something that we'd all love to talk about is the sort of concept around participation uh, uh, and that sort of thing. Also, uh, just opportunities in society. You hear Brian groaning. Um, that means we're on the right track. So so let's get into it, Brian. Things are about to get interesting, folks. Yeah. Why are you groaning, Brian? Oh, participation medals are my absolute, one of my biggest pet peeves, for sure. Um, I mean, up until like maybe age seven or eight, maybe like pushing to nine but like i'd probably only go seven or eight like sure give kids a reward for coming out and like you know thanks for participating beyond that like they know if they won or lost they know if it's worth value or not or for if it's participation medal like they're useless i think they're an insult to what sports are all about and and i'm not saying what sports are all about and that's winning but I don't think that you need to emphasize here's an extra little token for coming out and showing up. Um, I, I just, I've never really seen them done in an effective manner and they absolutely grind my gears. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to quickly interject before Brandon steps in. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know I'll be mediating this part of the conversation. Um, I don't, feel as passionately to either one of these sides as the other two gents do. Um, but with that said, <laughs> Brandon, what are your thoughts on participation medals? You want to, you want to start this with participation medals? You want to like ease into it? No, let's just, you, let's go. So I think one of the, I mean, we could talk about this forever and I don't think either of us are ever going to budge on our opinions. So I guess right off the bat, I'm definitely a supporter of participation medals and I, we can unpack that in a second, but you brought up an interesting point um, and it was around the goal of sport. So in my coaching class, um, it's a master's course, it's called coaching of coaching knowledges. We talked about the definition of sport and mm-hmm. the professor was extremely stern that sport 
is about winning and losing and nothing else. And he mentioned that everything else, like in terms of playing for other intrinsic values, is recreation. And that sport is about winning and losing and the teamwork concepts and the having fun and none of that is on par, I guess, with the end goal of winning, that extrinsic kind of reward of winning, which I thought was really interesting because I'd always seen sport as a vehicle for so many other things and that people could compete in sport and gain all those other things. So obviously we've debated whether or not, you know, what the definition of sport is. And I think everybody has a different perspective. We were talking about the definition of sport in my uh, physiology or sport class. And we had a different definition where we... Was that, was that, was the professor's definition though, was that for the purpose of debate or that like, that was his stern stance of what he views sport to be? No, that was his opinion on sport. And he was like, wow, you're going to be in sports. And, and I think it was more geared to the competitive coaching side I'll be honest, because it is a coaching class and, and mm-hmm. the coaches mm-hmm. in the class are, you know, we're all working with either varsity teams or competitive, pro, you know, national level programs. Yep. So from that perspective, I think that's kind of where he was going. But even at the competitive levels, you still have a lot of those intrinsic values. So I thought that was just kind of interesting because you're right. If, if the goal of sport is winning, then, you know, maybe I could be swayed to saying maybe participation medals don't really have a place in sport and they belong more in recreation and leisure. But like when I talk about this, I like to think of sport being a vehicle from a broad, uh, like a broad perspective in looking at our society as a whole and saying that right now we're <laughs> facing a huge health and um, fitness crisis. I don't, you know, I don't know what the, the pure definition of an epidemic is, but that's kind of what it feels like, where we have a lot of people living very, very, very stagnant lives. Mm-hmm. And part of the problem is that we get kids involved in sport, and for one reason or another, they stop playing. Well, you know, this is kind of why we wanted to talk about the motivation piece, is because, yes, you know, we want everybody to be competing and playing and engaging in physical activity from an intrinsic standpoint, because we know that that's more sustainable when you have intrinsic values and motivations that keep you going because you love doing it, then you'll keep going. Um, Participation medals, obviously being an extrinsic motivator, which we know don't have lasting effects. But Mm -hmm. if, if a participation medal keeps a kid in sport one more year, giving them one more year of time to make new friendships develop more intrinsic qualities towards enjoying sport and physical activity, then it's one step closer to keeping that kid in, um, you know, it's a borrowed term from long-term athlete development, keep them active for life. And that's ultimately, that's ultimately the goal. So when I think of participation medals, I think of it as a benefit for those fringe kids who otherwise wouldn't keep coming back because they're not being rewarded in any other way because they're not winning games, because they're not scoring the most amount of goals, because they're not heavily skilled. You know, so if we can give them something to keep going, then great. You know, they're coming back. I agree with I agree with you guys. Like, you know, the kids who are the superior athletes 
highly skilled, highly talented, understand what's going on, you're right. They don't care about the participation medal or the participation award because they don't, it doesn't mean anything to them because they're getting other awards. But I'm not worried about those kids. One piece where I definitely jive with you is the fact that there is a useful vehicle to keep kids in sport who might be on the fridge. I just don't believe that it's a participation medal. I think that there is a heck of a more effective way, whether that's through, I mean, we can get into the details and the nitty gritty of how coaches in, in sports of where these participation levels or the competitive level of which these participation medals are being given out are being taught or given the tools to do their job effectively, AKA they're not doing it effectively. Um, but that's also a part of poor training. Um, but I don't think it's giving somebody like a participation medal or a ribbon or like whatever. I think there needs to be focus on more takeaways and not something that pins up on their wall or on their bookshelf and away they go until next year. Um, something that needs to happen that needs to be more memorable and more impactful that they think and go, yeah, I really hated that sport, but what, when this happened at XYZ event, whether it was the final tournament or whether it was at like a skills and drills and like thrills session, something along those lines, like, yeah, that was really cool. And I really liked when I connected with this or I met so-and-so and and now they're my friend. Um, uh, I just don't believe that participation medals are, I I actually don't even think that they keep the the fringe kids in the sport because it's just like, it's a material object that um, I think a lot of organizations money where they don't have a lot of, especially in minor sports, go to these participation medals that can be going to a, like a lot more useful areas. And that's not to say to drive a competitive program or anything, but to, to improve a person, a kid's experience or multiple teams experience while playing that sport, I think for sure that needs to be revisited. That's where you and I definitely agree on is the purpose. I think the intent of where they are, I just don't think participation medals are actually achieving what they were set out to do. Right. And that's, And and to be fair, like, you know, I talk a lot about this and you're right. It's a hypothesis because I don't, I haven't looked up and I haven't done the research to see whether or not there's a direct correlation in retention. But at the same time, you know, what you're kind of talking about is developing those intrinsic motivators in sport, right? And, and enhancing that experience um, to bolster the intrinsic motivation for that young athlete to keep going. But part of the challenge is now you're talking about quality of the leadership whether that's yep. the coaches or the organization or whoever's involved. And, and the challenge is, is that, well, a lot of the time, you know, these adult leaders are volunteers, they're volunteers. and they're doing the best yep. they can, but you know, it's to no fault of theirs, but sometimes the quality of a product that they're delivering isn't up to par or it doesn't value everybody or it leaves some kids on the fringe and they're not being carried along because these aren't professional coaches and they don't have the coaching background or the knowledge or the time to go and be educated. It's not that they don't want to do a good job. It's just that sometimes they got full-time jobs and they have kids of their own and you know, they're just being able to carve out time to go and coach, Yes, you know, to, for them to be able to set aside and do professional development. It's, it's a lot to ask. And that's kind of where you lose out. So I agree. Like, you know, the organization should be spending more money to enhance the experience of these young athletes so that they have a great time, meet more friends, have great memories. But 
the only way that happens is with dedicated community leaders. And yep. it's very, very it's, – it's a lot easier to buy a participation medal, give it to a kid, than it is to train, hire, implement, blah, 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 blah. We know that. We've done – we've studied that for four years. Yeah, curriculum, that sort of it, thing. Exactly. Um, and even if they do all that, there's no guarantee it'll keep those kids – keep those kids engaged. So again, I have to do more research and part of my master's work will be around this kind of area of participation and motivation because it's something that I'm obviously quite interested and passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's always going to be kind of on the forefront. And I think the more that people talk about it, the more that we talk about it, and even if like five people listen to this and they say, you know what, maybe that it's, that's an interesting conversation. You know, we should really be looking at how to keep young athletes engaged in sport. And they have an idea that's better than whatever we're talking about. Um, and they tell somebody who has the power of, of implementing it, um, then then we can make a difference. Right. But the more that people talk we, about it, the, yeah. the more the, the the more likely these challenges are going to be overcome. Here's my uh, my quick two second Tim and Sid rant for <laughs> any parent who listens to this, or any future parent for that matter. If you ever end up being a volunteer for coaching your kids, or uh, just even a youth sport team, you don't have to have kids to coach to volunteer your time and coach a youth sport kid team, regardless of their age, anything above or below about ten, probably twelve years old. It is not about winning, folks. Uh, I don't care what level of competition you're playing in. Do not bench little Tommy because he's not good or because he's not listening to you. Figure out what the real problem is and have a freaking conversation with him like the adult that you're supposed to be. And don't just bench him because he's not grasping the words that you're saying that you probably can't even do yourself because you haven't done it in 10 years. Um, Have empathy, have compassion and take things slow because without that, and even if you don't know anything about the game that you're teaching, take it slow because... You are the reason why somebody's going to stay in the game or not, regardless of your knowledge or your skill level. If you make it fun for them, they will continue to play and they won't resent you when they're 17, 18 years old and you're the reason why they dropped out of sports is because you made them think that everything was about winning or losing. And that's not what it's about. That's my rant. Well said. So with that in mind, do you, either of you have any specific memories to do with participation medals personally? that influenced you or just makes you think in any specific way oh yeah um most recent one for me i was 17 years old i want to say 16 years old yeah so um yeah yeah like yesterday um (laughs) and we were in the provincial championship a final for lacrosse which is for those of you who don't know it's basically like the best lacrosse that Best lacrosse in the nation for the most part, or in the in the province. I mean, Ontario normally has the best lacrosse out of any province. So one could argue it's the best best lacrosse happening in the nation. And um, we're in the, the championship game for the gold medal game. Um, and we lost, like we, we, a player on my team gave up a stupid penalty in the last minute. We are tied and the, the other team, it was Brampton Excelsiors came down and they scored and we lost that game. And then they handed out like, like not even silver medals, guys. It was like participation 
medals of like thanks for coming out to the provincial championship and it was like i was more pissed off at that than i was losing the game as soon as it was handed to me um i I was like okay we get it like we lost we we know we didn't win don't give us something else to remind us we lost basically the one thing that all lacrosse players hope to do when you're in in a rep or a competitive program and, and that's to win a championship it's not a tournament it's not this it's to win provincials and that one stuck out in my mind as like being more of an I'll call it adult and like very aware of what was going on um to it it actually had the opposite effect to me it was like these guys don't even know how to program or or appreciate like hard work it's just throwing insult to injury (laughs) so hold on so hold on so you I'll say you won second place sure but they didn't give you a silver medal. They gave you like a... Yeah, it was like a participation. Like there was no like bro- like gold, silver, bronze. It was like you are the provincial champions or you're not. And if you weren't, everybody got the same thing. So everybody who participated in the provincial championships got the same medal as you guys did. Yeah. And your problem with it is that you think you should have gotten a silver? Is that what you're saying? No, it is that we shouldn't have gotten anything. So would you have been this upset if you got a silver medal? No chance. And it, it wasn't how far we've gone. It wasn't like, oh, what we've done is, is, is useless. It was at that level of competition and skill. It's like you either want to be first or like if I'm going to quote Ricky Bobby, if you ain't first, you're last at that level. Like yeah. it, nobody cares about who came second or nobody cares about you know, buddy at the bar who you talk to is like, I could have went to state if I didn't blow out my knee. Um, like all of that stuff. It's, you know, you either win or you lose at a competitive level. And I think when it comes to participation medals, I think we need to get away from post game. Here's your medal, even though you won or you lost. I think what I'm a big fan of, and sorry, this is going off a little bit of what the original question was, but is leaving people with a token to remember what that tournament was. So if it's a sweatshirt or um, that doesn't say anything about how far you went or how you how far you didn't go, everybody gets it. And this is just like your one token or your one memorabilia piece from this tournament or from this season. Like everyone gets the same thing because now it's not talking about like the winners get champions and then everybody else gets like participant or like attendee. It's all attendees get this and then the winners or first, second, third, however you really want to do it, get what the prize is, whether that's a medal or a trophy or, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think, like, just going back to the idea of whoever's not first, but then you get, like, the same thing as every, everyone else. If you really think about it, like, you could assign some sort of medal to fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth For place. For sure. As well, it just so happens that the norm in competitive sport is that you acknowledge specifically the best three competitors or teams um, in a competition. And so to me, it doesn't really have, you know, much value in any sense, because especially in that sort of lens, it's all about it is about winning. Mm-hmm. But that definition of sport in that scope is about winning um and whatever comes from it beyond winning isn't seen as a priority in that moment 
now obviously there's the opportunity to reflect on all the intrinsic value and soft skills and development that occurred during that time but that wasn't the necessarily um it wasn't the intention with, with that uh, experience or, or whatever that might be mm-hmm. so yeah I, I i was just reflecting on my own experience and i know i've talked to you guys a little bit about this but just when it came to like participation medals even with just like adult running races like i like to run sometimes i've done races um for the most part (laughs) i haven't won them and uh that's okay but when it comes to like you know the finisher medal or, or whatever that you get at the at the end of the run i personally haven't held much value in that maybe Mm -hmm. because again i i have had a time in my life where running was really competitive for me and maybe awards have come with that and so therefore now Mm. regular participation medals so to speak aren't valued the same um but those are just like my two cents on from that perspective because when i've done something it hasn't been to achieve just that that physical token. Mm-hmm. It was because I was looking for that, you know, greater value. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, that's sort of just where I'm coming from with just participation in general and how I think it, it makes yeah. sense to be sort of used in a broader scale. See, but, that's – so you were – kind of teasing me a little bit about the whole <laughs> adult running just the tip uh, just, yeah. The, just the tip yeah yeah give it to me give it to me Graham. yeah well you're kind of saying how you had a like you know you had a unique perspective and i never thought about and i kind of thought about what you were saying um but I, it never occurred to me that the fact that you ran cross-country competitively affected the way you now look at recreational running so for mm. me, when I do distance races, the medal to me is is everything. I mean, it's not it's not the reason that I'm running. Obviously, I know I'm not going to win. But the medal at the end is something that I'm extremely proud of. So like I'll give you the example of the the half marathon that uh I was a part of in December. Mm -hmm. obviously i did not win the half marathon my time wasn't close to that of the winner but that's okay for me well yeah but for me crossing the finish line and getting the medal was a representation of all the hard work that i'd done and the place that i'd gotten to um you know it kind of represented that journey right Mm -hmm. so for me the the part you know the the participation medal at that point or the finisher medal represented so much. It meant so much to me. It didn't matter whether or not I won, you know, to me it represented, I wore it with so much pride because it represented that I had completed something that I believed to be a great feat. And where's that participation medal now? Uh, it's in my, it's, it's on my shelf um, with all my other medals displayed. Do you think that that had, anything to do with um like my view of rec- recreational running versus like competitive uh, uh, 
a recreational anything versus competitive, for example, is like when you train on your own, you don't have a coach, like you're doing a lot of your runs by yourself. And like, it's a lot of self-motivation, but like, it's a lot of intrinsic motivation to go and like, just finish it right. To go and yeah. to, to run a half marathon, as opposed to like, in my mind, for somebody who is a competitive runner um, or in the competition side of things, they have a coach, they're training, they have the goal in mind to either do a personal best to beat themselves or to come first. Like that's what they're training for. And so I'm just wondering if there's any difference between in your head of like the comparison of when you used to play, say any other sport competitively of where you went to practice on a weekly basis, you played competitive games, you did that, and then still got that participation medal or ribbon um, or something of the sorts versus more of that leisurely, I'll call it a leisurely or recreation pursuit of finishing a half marathon. Because I think the the environments of what you're trying to achieve the goal that you're do that you're working towards are completely different. Yeah, I agree. It, yeah. When I was young and and I got participation medals, like I was a chunky Once kid. Once I was seven years old, my mama told me, "Son, <laughs> you suck at sports. You should quit now." Yeah, basically, that was... that's basically what I was when I was a kid. Um, so like chubby kid, unathletic, playing soccer, but. We would every year at the end of the year, they would give out the awards for like the best teams and whatever. Ours was never one of them, but we got participation medals. And because they looked exactly like bronze medals, I got, I was like, like ours is a bronze medal. Like, <laughs> I, I, I for our listeners, he has improved on his intellectual ability. <laughs> I was going to say, so he's not nearly as, uh, no, but I'm um, that's convinced. that's that's my that you know that's my childhood experience with participation medals is that to me they were they, like it was like I accomplished something. Um, but I, I agree, like, and that's kind of why I brought up the whole point with Graham and his perspective on running versus mine. Like, I ran cross country for one season, and I, you know, I wasn't competitive um, in high school. But you know, when I run now, it's more of a recreation thing, and I think what you mentioned, Brian of the um, training aspect. So this was another mm-hmm. concept that we brought up in our class was the ideal, sorry, the idea of amateurism and professionalism. Mm-hmm. And yep. you kind of cross that line into professionalism when you go out of your way to work with somebody else to help you yes. get better. Yeah. And I, my, my understanding of professionalism was always whether or not you got paid. And I think that's probably the black and white definition but I think the more kind of realistic definition is, is is that as soon as you, you know, hire a coach or a trainer and start taking it seriously is when you become a professional. And I think, you know, if you were to compare me and Graham, you know, Graham is probably more on the professional side, even though I know he doesn't have a running coach now. Um, but I'm definitely more towards the amateur side where, you know, all of my running training is done by myself. It's all on my own. And it was always been on my own. I've never had any professional lessons or training mm-hmm. or, you know, I've never been to technical workouts where they teach you how to run efficiently and stuff like that. I've never done any of that. Not to say that, that Graham's all had that extent of training, but you're right. His perspective is possibly skewed a little bit because he's had the formal training. Like if I were to compare it to, 
basketball, right? Like if, if, if they gave us a participation medal for competing in inch and row basketball, you know, I might not value it the same way that Christina would, because for Christina, you know, when we played, it was her first time playing, you know, she'd never yeah. done that before. So to her, it could, it could mark a achievement of having done something that she hadn't done before. Now, does, do you think, um, for your marathon running and like you getting that medal, do you think that that's going to change once you accomplish another marathon? And like, say you don't beat your time of what you, or your half marathon, say you do another one and you don't beat your time of what you originally accomplished. Will you, will that medal have as much value to you? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I could run slower on my next half marathon and to be honest, I probably will. Um, <laughs> and I, well, like, let's be honest. Um, and I think I will value it all the same because to me, running a half or a full or even those ultra marathons is an incredible feat. And I think it, you know, not anyone can just get up and run. You have to train and it's something that you have Mm -hmm. to work towards. So I think it it does, it will mean something. The next one will, you know, if I become a freak or whatever and run 50, then maybe it loses its value because just the frequency, but you know, the next one, I think, yeah, for sure. It will mean something. That is where my head went to, like, originally of an interesting concept for, like, and I'm going to compare this to Canada Blood Donation Services, whatever we're going to call them, um, of, like, you donate for the first time and you get, like, first-timer donator uh, sticker and you wear it around and you're like, yeah, look at me, I donated for my first time. And then every time after that, you're like, sweet, I donated again. And then you hit another milestone of, like, 25. And then you get an, a pin, right? And, like, when yeah. you hit your milestones, you get yeah recognized but every other time that you do it it's just kind of like okay like i did it so bring that back to the context of sport of it would be interesting if we acknowledge those who completed their first season in a sport of like congrats you did it you grinded your way through you learned so much now you're here um this is awesome but then thereafter looking at how we can recognize people's participation in a more valuable manner than a ribbon or a okay 50 cent or a dollar yeah see that i think is a more realistic idea again though you're talking about an extrinsic motivator which you know probably something like if you were going to apply that model for example to youth sports and say you know Mm -hmm. congratulations for completing your first season of soccer at age five you know, um, there's going to be a five-year celebration five years down the line. You know, I don't necessarily know if that's going to mean anything to them, you know? No, and I don't think it's it's setting the standard for them to achieve the goal. I think where that appreciation comes in is like any other intrinsic motivation, for example. Um, for me, I find work is like very intrinsically motivated. I want to do a good job because... I like doing a good job. It's not because I'm getting paid. Like, yes, I'm getting paid to do a good job, but it's not about the pay for me um, when you like doing what you're doing. And so, but when you get a little extra something or a thank you note acknowledging that you've gone above and beyond or that you accomplished and what you accomplished was really great, I think that's just added value to your experience. It's not to say that's what's going to keep kids in sport, but what it is, is it's a memorable moment for them to look back and in see that they accomplished something or that they enjoyed doing something for a year or a season. Um, and I think that's where the capstone is. It's not 
I'm just trying to take away all the extrinsic motivation from the medal because I don't think kids play sports for the medal unless it's first place in competitive atmosphere. Like, I really don't. And even then, I would be really hard to be convinced to say that like AAA hockey players, like midget age who are getting drafted to the OHL, even then, like it's not about coming first. It's about having fun with your friends, having those memorable moments. Yes, it's about playing good hockey, but there's a lot more to it than just winning and losing. Yeah, I think one of the things, um, too, that I want to raise is just, you know, we're talking about like youth sport, like, you know, strategies and models for youth and participation that way. Um, but like, what about doing something like that in an adult rec league? Like just mm -hmm. you have people who have, you know, been able to engage in sport and, you know, there are still beginners there. Um but just to have it where, you know, at the end of your first season, you get, you know, like, you know, insert whatever price here. Then after your third season, you get and then, you know, just carry on until it becomes more consistent. And I think that's something that would have the opportunity to, you know, reward people who are new and getting involved with things. And you might ask, well, like, how, why would they do that if, you know, they haven't done it all their life? Why now? There's a, a huge network, I think, of, um, you know, adults just in casual sports leagues. And yep. it's really easy to sort of rope in someone as a sub for the first little bit. And then, you know, who knows, maybe they sign up next season. And I think it's really important to acknowledge the fact that, burnout in, in youth sports is a serious problem and a real one but it's not the it's not always the end of the line um and so there's more opportunity there to really try to create some lifers in terms of healthy balanced living beyond like competitive youth sports you know yeah absolutely i agree and that's you know the the kind of stuttering there the reason that i i like focusing on youth sports is because if we get them <laughs> sounds like a cult but if if we're able to kind of if we get them there they will come well yeah, <laughs> yeah. they like will if, stay with us forever if we can develop <laughs> these habits and these intrinsic values then this doesn't become a problem later on in life to try and get adults involved in sport right it's something that they already want to do and are seeking out um, opportunities to do that. Now, maybe I'm a little biased because this is all our careers and, you know, the success and opportunities that we have as rec and sport based graduates, if we want to work in sport is participation numbers. So the more people participating means the more opportunities for us to have jobs. I mean, yes, it's, it's great to get adults involved. At when they're adults and there should be models like that that reward trying new things but again one of the reasons i just love focusing on youth athletes is because you have the opportunity to kind of introduce them to so many different activities and they're so much more likely actually that's an interesting study are you more likely to try new things as a as a child or an adult i would think you're more likely to try new things as a child I think that depends on your environment. Yeah. Well, right. Because if you've grown up for the first two years of your life and it's always been no, 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 that you've been hearing, 
your first thing when somebody offers you to do something is no. Right? Like, oh, I'm not allowed or I'm not allowed. Like, this isn't okay. An interesting conjecture. I don't think any of us have the experience to really solidify that with proof at the moment. So <laughs> It's a hypothesis at best. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I mean, that's kind of, you know, I don't know the, I've not, I haven't looked at the research, but. That's not what this podcast is about. We don't want to bore anybody with research. Yeah. We just make shit up as we go. Exactly. <laughs> that's what master's degree are all about make stuff up and pretend that it's real man honestly i've learned so much stuff the past three weeks reading these academic journal articles lose is that what you tell your professor too no i'm serious like, is that what you tell christina to get her excited at night <laughs> <laughs> no i tell her that she needs to uh really rethink about this whole master's thing i wonder what it's going to be like in greece just so much reading and maybe it's because i didn't know anything before i got here so like all this stuff to me is new yeah like we were talking about this term called microaggressions oh it's conversation for another day but just super interesting microaggressions those are my favorite yeah they're interesting they're they're looking at it was a qualitative research study looking at different um interactions between coaches and athletes and the different racial uh sexual um derogatory undertones that happen in a mm-hmm. lot of conversations that are just kind of commonplace in yes. in sport in north america yeah um so it was just really interesting to read and it, the more i read these articles the more i start to learn about the different perspectives that come with different types of authors and they they acknowledge that the two authors of this paper were both white um from kind of higher socio socioeconomic classes and their perspective and a lot of these these stories had to deal with black athletes and white coaches so just such an interesting dynamic um and relationship um so to read about all these microaggressions and undertones and um and stuff like that was actually quite interesting because it's very relatable and you see it in sport Mm -hmm. all the time but All the time. Th- that's that's an interesting thing that you bring up because I would then will link that back to um, coaching and youth sports and like the amount of microaggressions that once you're aware of them are actually said in front of kids to either discourage or it encourage them in various ways. Mm. Um, and like it wasn't until one year where I was coaching eight eight year olds in lacrosse, and I had. Probably half my team were minorities. I had two females on my team. And um, it was just like a very mixed bag of folk and something that I was never really used to. Like I grew up in predominantly white town and played with predominantly white people, like plus or minus maybe a couple players and friends that I had. Um, But then when you use like the language that your coaches taught you to use, like don't be a sissy, Mm. like, simple as that or like don't play like what are you doing playing like a little girl out there like that quickly like yeah man up like those quickly roll off your tongue and you're going and it wasn't until then that i actually had to take a step back and be like hold on watch what you're saying here because like that that female on my team can hit 10 times harder than half the boys on this team like it doesn't come down to gender here it comes down to skill and ability and being aware and like using techniques properly and so on and so forth. But 
was like, holy smokes, like that also could be the reason why kids are leaving the game because like they are realizing those microaggressions a lot more than I think anybody's consciously aware of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Because kids are smart. Like let's uh, let's throw that out there for all of our listeners. Like kids are some of the smartest people that we know. They might not be able to do physics assignments or chemistry work, but like they connect dots really, really well. And they can read body languages like no tomorrow. So if you're not in it or you're not willing to kind of give it your all for them, they they understand right away and they'll probably be hesitant to give it back to you because you you're not earning their respect. Yeah. Absolutely. You're right. It's it's kids are extremely intelligent and you're right, maybe they can't do physics or chemistry, but they probably can. It's just that they don't know how to describe those terms. Like they yeah. understand how things work and function. They just don't have the vocabulary to voice what they're thinking. Yep. Um, that's probably the case a lot of the time. Yeah, here's – so I actually just <laughs> – I got the research article out because there was something really interesting that I wanted to talk about today. <laughs> and over like, you know that we just talked about that this wasn't going to be an academic podcast. We're yeah, it's, it's not It's not going to be. I think this is something that, that everyone can relate to because, like, th- again, thinking about our audience, um, probably primarily Caucasian and European. But anyways, so there's this concept called colorblindness, and it's a microaggression. Mm-hmm. Now, just by saying that, Graham, do you know what I'm referring to? Colorblindness. Yeah. I would imagine that it's the idea of people convincing themselves that they don't make judgment or see color in a specific way. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly correct. And <laughs> this article goes on to say that that's a racial microaggression. Yeah. Which I was so thrown off of because this is what it says. Microaggression, which involves a white person taking the position that racial differences are unnoticed or irrelevant. For the longest time, you know, I've definitely said that I don't see color. Color is like something that doesn't exist and I see people as equal. For the longest time, I thought that that was what... Like I thought that was the correct way of going about interacting with different individuals. And but you know, like that's not necessarily not correct. I think I think really where that color blindness comes into play is when you say, I don't see color, so our experiences are the same, or like or Right, you're ignoring you're ignoring the history. Exactly. And you're ignoring how other people may treat them. Yeah. Um it's it's recognizing your privilege. You can very well say like I mean, I don't see color is definitely not the appropriate way to say that, but you could say like, I do see everybody as equal. That's a fair statement to make. I think when it turns into the microaggression is when you're now assuming, and it's, it's not you, but like, just, we assume in general that just because we don't see people all like we, we don't see people not as equals doesn't mean everybody else doesn't see them that way. And so you're not recognizing potentially the barriers or the, um, discrimination or um, the hurdles that they have to overcome in order for them to be successful or in order for them to stay in the same room as you. Right. And right. I think that's where it turns into the microaggression when you just assume that everybody's equal and their experience is the same as you. Right. When they definitely are. Right. Because I would never know what it's like to walk two minutes in um, 
like an African-American person's shoes or even just being like my skin color being black doesn't matter where I came from. Like, I don't know what that feels like. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think the whole reason I, I kind of wanted to mention it is because it's something that I wasn't even aware of that I was doing. And I think it's so easy to, to be lost in what we're saying. Yeah. And, and I think people make these mistakes all the time is that they say things because Someone either told them to say it or they heard somebody else saying it and they assume mm-hmm. it's fine. And then they keep on talking about these things that, you know, are actually proliferating these negative values. Um, so anyways, yeah, I just thought it was interesting. We can head back to the motivation discussion. Now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I love uh, higher learning higher tangents learning. and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so sort of shifting focus then, talking about maybe a, a little bit more widespread and relatable topic for our, our listeners, shopping rewards. Have you ever guys, have you guys ever noticed yourselves like legitimately just being caught with like, yep, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to buy this because of the awesome experience I've had and the bonuses I'm going to get from buying this thing? Oh, for sure. An example um petrol points for gas yeah automatic uh the word that i'm looking for is escaping me but every time i go and buy gas and i have an option i'm always shooting petrocan who's the dealer well <laughs> yeah it's not even that like <laughs> i can collect points with other gas stations but they were the first ones to give me a rewards card or i guess i was the first they were the first gas station for me to set up with um and for me, like, why would I go to any other gas station when I have the choice? Because I can collect points. And why would I collect points for two different groups and then I'm collecting points half as quickly and I'm not able to redeem half as, you know? So, uh, so yeah. Absolutely. do you go – sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, just like, yeah, I mean, I'm, ref- I'm affected by rewards programs all the time. Yeah, which I think is fascinating because – would, like, would you be willing to go to a Petro Points, or sorry, to a Petro Canada, which is a half kilometer farther down the road, and two cents more expensive per liter than going to an SO right here? Yeah, probably for two reasons. One, I get to collect Petro Points. And two, this whole shopping around for gas for one to two cent difference drives me insane. I know it does. That's why I asked. <laughs> really? Like if you, it does? Oh my gosh. If you do the math. Okay, how many, Brian, how many, oh, you drive a diesel. Oh, it doesn't no, matter. Isn't your, okay. So how many liters is your tank? Uh, let's go 40. Just 40, let's okay. Go 50, let's go 50 to make it even number. Where okay, 50 liters. Okay, if you fill up at two cents cheaper, so you're saving two cents a liter on a full tank mm-hmm. of gas, how much money are you saving? I know where you're going with this, but keep going. You're saving a dollar. <laughs> okay. I'm not even answering your question. <laughs> you're saving a dollar. To save that dollar, you probably waited in a much longer line. You probably drove, you know couple minutes out of your way spending a dollar either idling or driving and wasting 10 to 15 minutes of your life now i don't want to 
seem too insensitive because I know people are balling on a budget and I get that. And I'll be the first to say that I get gas at Costco, but that's for, you know, different reasons where I get my <laughs> so gas and I shop at the same shop time. Around. <laughs> well, but I know that Costco you gas is always going to be the no cheapest. What. Yeah. But, and I would go out of my way to go to Costco because it's more than it's in Edmonton. It's, it's 18 cents cheaper than another gas station. Now, that's what about, what would you difference. say with like accesses to information so much more quickly than like, I personally would never drive around to find the cheapest gas station, like inherently in Waterloo and Kitchener. I know where the cheapest gas stations pretty much always are. Right. And that's where I fill up. Um, but with things like gas buddy and all of these different avenues in order for even, even, um, uh, these, I'm going to call them gas retailers, but like gas stations, um, there we go. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, <laughs> gas stations are striving to have the competitive edge by like the lowest price. But I don't know. I don't think that's always the case because you see this all the time. Gas stations, kitty corner to each other have different prices. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> How? And there's people filling up at both gas stations. And I think it has to come down to the rewards program. See, I'm not a part of any rewards program. I think they're a waste of my time because I hate more cards than not in my wallet. Like, right. So, okay. But in that scenario, you're going to the cheaper gas station then. If they're, if they're on the if same block. If there's kitty corner, 100% I'm going to the cheapest one. I'm not going to the ones with the shortest line. I'm going to the cheaper one. Right. So I'm saying that the people who are going to the more expensive one, more than likely, I feel like it's because they're brand loyal. Most likely. Or, or they're in a rush or they are have the privilege of not having to worry about saving that dollar right i guess okay so i guess i'm assuming that both of these gas stations have no lines yeah yeah you're right if Um, both of them don't have a line then yeah i think it's based off of a brand or an experience than anything else yeah yeah no this is (laughs) yeah go ahead i I was just I, i was just i couldn't believe i don't know maybe it's just me you guys like will seriously like turn left at a freaking busy intersection during rush hour just to cross the street for gas hell no i'm gonna stay on my side of the road and just stop there and go my way really yeah damn right i'm hanging that's not worth that's not i'm hanging that left every day of the week oh be an aggressive driver and everybody's going out of your way not a dangerous (laughs) driver just an aggressive one there's a difference Oh, like wow. where you want to yeah, be I, as an assertive driver, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I still stick All with right. aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, Brian is an aggressive. Driver. On the uh, so, what I will, I want to get back to this competition, um, in like in external and intrinsic, in, and blah, blah 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 blah, intrinsic and extrinsic, extrinsic motivation. There we go, <laughs> um, and like. Do we feel as though the rewards of in-sport participation, even if in kids, is valued based off of even your nature? Like, I'm a I'm a decently competitive person with myself, and I was a competitive person when I was growing up playing competitive sports. Like, I wanted to win, but now I think when I'm in an environment where the team isn't in a competitive atmosphere, so that's beer league hockey or pickup Frisbee or whatever it may be. um, 
I just want to be competitive with myself to make sure that I'm holding myself to my greatest abilities, but I could care less if the team win, wins or loses. It's about having fun with everybody who I'm around. Um, yeah. Do you think kind of that perspective has an impact on your experience playing sports? Yes, 100%. Like, I, I, I think that's almost, I think that has a huge majority to do with it, just in terms of the type of experience you'll have with teammates and people that you know you interact with in a in a sport environment if someone is that person who's used to getting everything their way just in general off of you know the sports environment do you really believe that most people who are like that once they step on the field will be the the person who wants to set up their teammates for for success I don't have anything to support that, but Mm -hmm. I feel like the answer would be no. You know, even if they were a fair team player, they would still, they'd be calling for possession a lot or, you know, just like doing minor, you know, even unconscious actions that sort of support that nurtured lifestyle or behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, Lastly, the, the only other thing in regards to keeping kids in sport, which I will tie to, um, because I think these folks actually have the training um, and the education to make kids' experiences better. And I'm going to turn to the referees on this one. And um, that personally being a referee, I refereed lacrosse for six or seven years. Um and you have to go to a training clinic. You have to know the rules. You have to know the sport for the most part. I think that is where a lot of minor sports can do a heck of a better job is empowering their referees to engage in a more positive experience for, for youth um, of whether they get a penalty and you take two seconds to explain the rules from them before you restart the game and tell them why what they did was wrong. Um, it could be from having conversations with kids when they're on the bench about a play that they just made or something cool that they did or coaching alongside the coaches who are there on the bench and giving them tips and tricks as well. I think their involvement in the game can literally make or break youth experience at the competitive level, but also at the recreation level. Agreed. 100%. And I, as a, I've refereed as well, been a paid ref, been a volunteer ref, um, and then having played different sports you're right there are a lot of referees out there who treat it like a nine to five who treat it like this is my job i'm here to to ref i'm not here to do anything else yeah. you know i'm wearing a striped jersey that means it's i'm not, not even playing it means i'm not like, coaching it's you're it's right basically just like i'm here to blow the whistle and like point my arm or put you in the penalty box and not right. have a conversation with anybody else and like in my mind that's not refing yeah agreed or just exert dominance Right. Like look at any of the professional, like NHL referees. And if you've ever heard the mic'd up, like they're talking to the guys every second of the game about what's going on, what they want. And that's not taught to go to little Jimmy who doesn't know how to cross check properly in the cross. So you take two seconds to stop the game, show him a technique, allow him to hit your arm. And then away you go and you carry on the game. That's going to have way more of an impact than blowing your whistle, pointing around the other way and being like, you can't hit him while he has the ball. Other teams possession. See you. Like, that's not a thing. For sure. But I, again, it goes back to the whole culture of referees. I don't. I haven't met a single – I mean, that's 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 a lie. I was going to say, I haven't met a single referee who actually enjoys refing for the intrinsic value of 
creating a fun and safe and fair true sport environment. That's I'm actually true. Horn and say that that was me. Right. So I yeah I have met a couple of them, but for the large majority, refs aren't there for that because. But I'm perfect. Athletes so. and coaches hate refs. Like the stigma. Hundred percent around a referee is that they're the enemy. Is that not only are you but not it's because they get against, the whistle and they become some sort of d bag. Well, they become. <laughs> it's become like it's because they're an though, authority like become figure. an empowered prick. And it's like, you know what? Relax, Chico. Like, you'll be okay at the end of this. Like, we'll still be friends. Just talk to me. Don't yell and don't blow your whistle and think that you're some macho man that now suddenly you have a whistle and you're like 17 feet taller and like 250 pounds more muscle on you. Here was was my experience with refereeing. It's that on TV, people see players, coaches, anybody, uh, and their moms yelling at the refs. Okay? So kids and volunteer coaches get this impression that that's how you're supposed to work with referees so they yell and they curse and they don't really have any compassion um Mm. for the referee yeah it's just that's that's like no one's ever trained coaches or athletes on how to interact with referees and and the way that they know how to for a large part of it is from what they see on tv and what they see on tv is not a yeah. positive interaction the number number one worst sport for that hands down is baseball they stop the game oh. to allow a manager to come out and put on a show of embarrassing the referees oh absolutely absolutely and what does, it show, it what does it show what does it show young kids who watch joke. baseball they're impressionable it is an absolute joke that they let that happen. I don't know wherever that's that's a thing. And then yeah, well, the fact that baseball is a joke is another conversation. I think. Oh my god, the whole <laughs> league is a freaking joke. Let's be serious about that. But um, in other sports, yeah, I totally agree. I one hundred percent. I just don't think it's as bad because no other sport does the game get stopped for literally for thousands tens of thousands of fans who are there in person and then hundreds of thousands of people watching the game on tv to sit there and watch a video broadcasting of somebody getting verbally and sometimes physically physically embarrassed and berated well i would use the word abused Uh, well abused is definitely the right word like the fact that that still happens is is if that's what it takes to get your team riled up to come back and win, like you don't deserve to win in my mind. Like you need a better team or you need to be a better coach. One or the other. Like, yeah. Like, no, but it goes back to that whole sport environment, coach. right? Like creating a positive sport environment where kids actually enjoy being there and want to come back next year. For sure. And, and, it's, and the referees play a role because they're, you know, for large part, they're an adult leader. And they have the yep. opportunity to make a difference in that kid's experience, and whether and or not they do. A lot of the is... times, when I was having, when I was having the conversations, it would, like, I would, I would be getting yelled at, and like, normally, rightfully so. Like, sure, I missed a call or whatever, and you're upset, and you just walk over and you go, "Listen, like, these kids are twelve. Sure, I missed one. Like, I can't be perfect. Yeah, I can tell you twelve things that you just missed. It's not about that." I'll try to keep my eye on it. Just have a conversation with me and don't yell and scream because that's when we have a problem. Nine times out of 10, that coach was totally cool after that. And they recognized that what they were doing wasn't okay. 
but even referees don't turn around and have that conversation of being like stop man like or stop well, whoever you are it doesn't have to be a man like you're embarrassing yourself yeah. they're kids yeah and it, but again i think it's, it's it, it has to do with the fact that you care about the sporting environment and i and i'm not going to say all referees don't but a lot of referees don't or they don't show it or they don't getting, show it in the ways that they should right and that's, and my that's biggest thing the is biggest they're problem. getting paid and they're probably the easiest yeah. role to enable them and give them the tools because they have to attend mandatory training every year in order for them to change what the atmosphere of at least in-game sport participation looks like. Yep. I've had to even to the point of where I went over to a coach who wasn't even yelling at me, was just yelling at the top of his lungs about random stuff. And I walked over and said, bring your voice down. You're doing nobody, anybody favors in this room because kids don't like to be yelled at. And he just kind of looked at me and I go, and that's not me taking a shot at your coaching style. It's nothing. I'm sure you're a smart guy, but like take yourself out of your shoes for a second. And like you scream 24 seven kids tune you out. They don't want to listen to what you have to say anymore. And he's like, Oh, okay. And then stop screaming. And (laughs) I bet you nobody had that, that had that conversation with him in like his three or four years of coaching. Because that's just who he was and people think, oh, leave the coach alone. That's their job, blah, 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 blah. But all it takes is to enable the refs to have these types of conversation and empower them to educate and facilitate a safe environment. And you can hold them accountable because you're paying them as opposed to some volunteer coach or um, some volunteer trainer or even just like a minor organization in well who's like bleeding money just to rent ice or rent the floor for kids to participate on. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a that's a great model for implementation. Like I I agree, and and I wish that I could speak to this more because I know that there are referee organizations out there, and I and I can't say for certain that they're not doing something similar than this, or that they're not trying to implement something similar than this. But I think I think that's a great idea. Like that's a great concept. Graham, real quick, are you uh, are you swayed? Are you uh, swayed? Can you be persuaded to to shop in different locations due to rewards programs? Yeah, I think so. Um, Like, for me, I go to Zares every week because that's just what's most convenient. But now that, like, I'm in in on the Optimum program, like, get some bucks off every now and again, like, why would I go somewhere else? Because it's the best routine for me right now. You know, like, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, with that said, I think a lot of companies can do a great job, you know, swaying that competition when it comes to just um, like just consumable products, like like different watches or clothes or something like that. Like if there's a better deal, I like I won't necessarily stay loyal to one brand in that sense, um, but. Like I definitely go out of my way with certain like routine based things to stay the same until something can switch me entirely to a new routine rather than just like catch me for like a one off like right. oh well that was fun and back to mm-hmm. back to that sort of regular um you know whatever you had in place prior to that so um I I know it definitely influences me and you know. I do my best to not check my spam account too much because I know that there are some good rewards deals in there that I'm sure would 
get me thinking at least. And as soon as they get you thinking, um, they already they already got gotcha. you. They've occupied uh, space in your mind. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly. the whole point. Yep. Um, and like a hundred percent, those like targeted ads. Like I don't know if you guys have had any specific experiences with targeted ads, but oh, yeah. there have been a couple times where it's just like, okay, yep, you got me. Money well spent. I'm gonna buy your product. Good job. <laughs> I think targeted ads are, are terrific. Yeah, like I would I, much rather receive a targeted ad than a than a random ad. Like if I have to see something, I'd rather see something that I'm interested in. It happens to me all the time on Instagram. You know, I'll scroll through things yeah. like backpacks or tech stuff or whatever. Hammocks. Yeah, hammocks. Because <laughs> I need that's a it, hammock for that's my what shows up with no trees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'll put some two by fours in the ground, Brian. It'd be fine. I'm not, you know, I'm not a big person on uh, on loyalty rewards programs. Um, I know they work. Um, I've used them at other stores where I've worked at, and they've implemented really well. But like personally, I could give two craps of where I buy a product from. Um, the thing that I care about is that it's the lowest price. And sometimes, yes, I know that I'm spending more time than money. Um, shopping around for that product to price match or to go and find it. But to me, at the end of the day, it's worthwhile to buy a pro- a quality product for the most affordable price. Now, if it's a crappy product, just go and pay, go and pay whatever it is and be done with it because you know your lifespan of that product is not going to last long. But if it's something that you're going to use every day or, you know, for a couple years, go and buy something that's quality. I wonder what, I wonder what your decision-making process for purchasing things will be like in 20 years oh my decision making process for purchasing things right now is horrible well but i mean like i i would say that it's value driven right like you're definitely more focused on dollars and cents but i wonder if that'll be true 20 years from now to be honest with you i definitely think it comes down to like the privilege of how much money you have Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And, and, and that's, like, what, if that's I'm what I'm saying. more is... money, I'm going to be like, I don't give two craps. Like, let's go. Here you go. <laughs> Take my money and let's get out of here. Oh, well, yeah. It's like that, that. And it's I know your, that's what I'll be like. You know, it's that mentality, it. you know, eventually that your time is money. And, 100%. You know, you could spend time shopping dollars and cents, but, you know, it takes time and, and what's more valuable to you. So. And the more, I, I also want to like say that I think the more money you make, the less free time that you typically have. I feel like those go up on that X and Y axis on like a very even plane um, that you make more money, you're expected to work longer hours or that you're expected to work when you're home or even on your vacation. Therefore, you have less time. Therefore, the more time you spend shopping, the less time you have for all of your other things that you want to do. Yep. And that whole thing ties back into everything we've talked about. It's that don't do it for the extrinsic reward of money. Yes. Do it because you love what you're doing. Yeah. And then exactly. it won't matter. 100%. Totally agree. Great totally way to Totally agree. Great. Thanks, man. <laughs> you know, but it's, again, it's like, how do we, how do we develop these intrinsic values? That's what it comes down to. And that's where we're always working to, to uh, make a better society. And it's, it's one of those things that, you have to start every day as a new day of recognizing what your intrinsic values are and trying to continue to satisfy them or to meet what those are. That it can't just be a once a year thing, once a week thing. It really has to be something that you're working towards 
daily in order to receive any value back in in exchange for your time of course 100 yep. percent. Mm-hmm. all right we've uh run this one pretty long any uh any parting words Nope, no, no parting thoughts, no last Sorry, thoughts. Sorry, I, I got nothing. <laughs> don't yell at the worst kid on the team. How about just don't yell at kids? Unless it's your own. Then give them a wooden spoon. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's kidding. That's domestic violence. <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah, no, I'm down with that. Don't yell at kids. What about at each other? Can you, like, as, as parents, can you yell at other parents? Not while you're coaching, but just in life. Uh, I would say no. Why, why do you need to yell? Okay, don't yell. There we go. That's our learning outcome of the day. I don't know. Unless, what's that, what's that phenomenon where unless it's like to preserve someone's safety? Oh, that's fair. Like then maybe yelling is justified? Okay. I get down with that. Okay. Don't yell unless someone you love is in danger. <laughs> or just someone is. Or in someone danger. is in danger. Yeah, they don't have to love them. Well, be a good human ground. Unless you go by that whole, exactly, unless you go by the whole love thy neighbor, in which case, but what if they're not your neighbor? Then you're SOL, don't yell. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They should have have moved to your neighborhood. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so some exciting news. We're now available on iTunes. Um, Just got the notification today. We're available on Stitcher. Still working on Spotify and Google Play, yeah. but uh, you can get us on Pocket Cast, Podbean, uh, Always Anchor, and uh, we're hoping to get on CastBox sooner or later. So we are expanding our horizons, we're available on more platforms, and we are now downloadable because we're available on those platforms as well. Dope. Tell your grandparents, because they have <laughs> enough time to listen to us, Yeah. Um, and your parents, and listen to us in the car on the way to work. Let's do it. More accessible. And... Uh, in the works a couple weeks down the line we're going to be doing a hot dog eating contest for a charitable cause so stay tuned for that um, as always if you have any questions please feel free to reach out at thatsowinterestingpod at gmail.com and you can hit us up on Instagram and Facebook at TSI Podcast alright any final words now it's past my bedtime definitely past my bedtime <laughs> get out there and play kids